Welcome to the 50th episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. I am recording this on Christmas Day, not giving myself much time to edit given that this needs to be released in less than two days, but I will manage. As previously discussed, this episode will be a best of the first 24 episodes of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. The episode coming up on Thursday will be a second best of covering episodes 25 through 48, 49 being the Christmas special. I'm not going to pull anything from that for the best of, being that it was a very different podcast experience than usual. I'm not going to set up the clips or discuss anything between the clips on this best of or the next best of episode. I will simply use some sound effect. I don't know what it is yet, but I will use a sound effect to differentiate when you're hearing one clip to the next. If you are a new listener to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast, I hope that this gives you a little insight into how the podcast goes, what to expect. And hopefully you'll go back and listen to these episodes in their entirety. I do want to give a shout out to the city of San Francisco. Right now, in the last week, San Francisco has given me a lot of listens. I don't know why, but if you live in San Francisco and have recently become a fan of the podcast, thank you. Now, before we get started with the best of, I want to give you a heads up that you're going to notice a difference, a transition from the earlier episodes to the later episodes. And I'm going to plug these clips in in chronological order. So you're going to hear the early stuff first, the later stuff last. But over time, I developed a pace, a style, an energy. I changed my equipment around. You will likely hear further differences in Thursday's episode, the second best of. But I think that's kind of part of the fun. It's like seeing your child grow up. Look at you, Timmy. I remember when you couldn't even ride a bike. So I hope you enjoy this 50th anniversary episode, a best of the first 24 episodes of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Here we go. We have these vocal tics and we don't realize that we have them until someone points them out. I used to be one of those dudes that would say, you know what I mean? At the end of everything I said, hey man, uh, I think that the uh, team's doing pretty good this year. You know what I mean? We know what you mean. Uh, we're going to go down to the bar and get a drink. You know what I mean? We know what you mean. Would you like to get a drink? You know what I mean? We know what you mean. Can I drive? You know what I mean? We know what you mean. Okay. It, maybe it wasn't that bad, but at one point some person just looked at me and said, yes, I know what you mean. And... She came across very angry. This wasn't anybody I was involved with. It was just somebody that had happened to be around me and just said, I am not going to let this dude keep saying this phrase over and over and over again. And thank you. She was basically pointing out the booger in my nose. You know, we all want somebody to tell us when we got a booger coming out of our nose. But at the same time, how many times if you see a little boogie hanging in someone's nose, you're going to interrupt the meeting and let them know you got a boogie in your nose. <laughs> Let's go back to the stores. What did you see missing? Like, this is like the true example of these are the people that we live amongst, okay? I'm going to tell you one of the number one things the people wanted, aside from paper towels and toilet paper, macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese was a huge item just completely depleted from the stores. Bread. I would get so pissed off because I would go to the store. I would forget. And I would go and buy some brats. 
Mmm, gonna be making some brats tonight. Gonna have some brats, alright. They're gonna be good. Gonna put them in a bun. Gonna put some mustard on. Okay, it's gonna be brat night. And you get the brats in the cart or the basket. And then you get to the bread and you're like, Oh, I forgot that bread is a commodity in this day and age. Let me see if there is a bun. Or figure out if there is a way to put brats inside King's Hawaiian Rolls. Yes, there must be a way. It is still brat night. Huzzah! Huzzah! I remember at one point I got so frustrated I had meat in my cart or my basket and got to the bread area and went, son of a bitch. And I put the meat down where the bread should be on the empty shelf and said, you can put that away. I just came here to have some meat with some bread. And you got no bread, but you got a lot of meat. It's not fair. So here's a diet that I created for myself, which has actually been the most successful diet that I've ever had. It is the no meat and no cheese diet. Here's the reason why I, it's not like non-dairy. It's just no meat, no cheese. Here's why. When I can eat meat and cheese for any reason, for any diet, I will pop meat and cheese into my mouth like Liberace with dicks, okay? It's gonna be left and right. So the no meat and no cheese diet, seriously though, it just, like I would make a sandwich and I'm gonna make a turkey sandwich with one slice of cheese and some lettuce and some tomato and some light mayonnaise and some mustard, which is very low calorie, pretty much zero. And I'm even gonna use light bread. But when I'm making the sandwich, a second slice of cheese opened itself up. I have to put that in my mouth to save it. Or, you know, a little bit of, bit of the shredded turkey stuck to my finger. It's a full serving and a half, but it's stuck to my finger. I have to do something about it. I'll just stick it in my mouth and eat it. It's the safest place for the turkey right now. I just can't be trusted around meat and cheese, okay? It is a fact. <laughs> So, I will say I found that there was a 2017 study that examined the number of neurons in cats and dogs. In this study, it it was assumed that neurons provide a stronger mental state and the ability to better predict what might happen in certain scenarios based on past experiences or what they call, finger quotes coming, episodic memory, okay? And in the study... Dogs won. Dogs have more neurons. So they, if neuron count is the measure of intelligence, then in the 2017 study, dogs were perceived to be the smarter animal. However, cats have also been shown to have in multiple studies, uh, episodic, finger quotes, episodic memory. Obviously, you know, my animals know when it's time to eat. They know certain things. Cessna just came upstairs because I sang a song from a different floor of the house, and she came upstairs because episodic memory tells her that she should come get some loving from daddy. But one reason that I say that episodic memory would be a sign that an animal in general is intelligent or has more intelligence would be like birds or fish. 
I'm pretty sure birds and fish don't have episodic memory. A bird will fly into a window or a mirror repeatedly until it crashes its own skull. So I'm pretty sure that the first time it did it, it did not remember. I mean, you could argue that, you know, it rattled its brains and it it did not remember what it had done because its brains were like jelly in its head. Well, so be it, but that's a dumb bird for flying into a window in the first place. And fish, on the other hand, you can catch the same fish in the water three or four times in a row. Hey, look, a worm! And it will bite onto the hook, yanked out of the water into an unforgiving environment. This piece of metal just stuck through its lip. It gets yanked out with very little class. And then you chuck the little fella back in. He starts swimming around and he's like, oh, that hurt, that sucked, oh, that hurt. Hey, look, a worm! So there's no episodic memory there. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty certain. I don't know what the neuron count is in birds or fish, but I would reckon that they'd be a little bit lower than the cats and the dogs. I do want to point out that right now, social media is infuriating me because it is today in our history, May 30th, 2020, and there is rioting going on. I'm going to go on record just straight up and say the officer that killed George Floyd The man who died on Monday, some of you might say, who's George Floyd? That's because you're scrolling through all this crap. You're reading about the riots. Coronavirus is mixed in. Tom Smith's turkey that he's deep frying outside on his patio is also thrown in there. George Floyd is the man who died. I want you to ask yourself, did I know the name of the man before Jeff just told that to me? Ask some of the people around you, do you know the name of the man that died that all of these riots are happening? I would venture to guess that most of them do not know because the attention span is so small because of social media, that we don't pay attention to some of the most significant items. So I want to put that out there again, George Floyd, and again, going on record saying it was wrong. The cop has been arrested. That's good. He's going to be tried. However, now the riots are going on and there's all these people out there. I understand a protest, but a protest and a riot are two different things. When you go into a target through a broken window and walk out with boxes of shit that you didn't pay for, that is criminal behavior. That is theft. Period. That is not a protest. You're not going to ever win a battle in this country by behaving that way. Maybe you got yourself a new toaster and a new DVD player. You should have gone for the Apple TV because everything's gone digital, by the way. But regardless, it is criminal. If you dispute that, you're an idiot and you don't understand the legal system. You know, it's also disheartening to see all of these poor small businesses that have been closed because of coronavirus for months and are finally able to reopen restaurants and other businesses and they're having their windows smashed in and being set on fire. And now, for example, in Columbus, Ohio, which is way far away from Minneapolis, yet for some reason the riots are going on for days and days, In Columbus, Ohio, they have now issued a curfew. You cannot be out in the city of Columbus after 10 p.m. tonight. So now all of these businesses are being shut down early tonight. They're going to make less money. Some of these businesses are never even going to be able to come back from all of this crap that's happening. And see, this is the other thing with social media. is like you see all these people that say, if you don't understand what why the riot mentality makes sense, then then you just don't understand. Okay then I guess I don't understand because I don't understand why it's okay to argue the fact that someone committed criminal behavior and in order to 
prove your point why that is wrong, you say, I'm going to go out and commit criminal behavior. That's like I go into Kroger and I see an old lady just walking out with a loaf of bread under her arm and she I know she didn't pay for it. So I go to the manager and I say, hey, that, that old lady's leaving. She didn't pay for that bread. And the manager goes, oh, Mrs. Schmidt, Mrs. Schmidt, she doesn't remember things very well. It's okay. It's just a loaf of bread. And I'm like, well, what the hell? I got to pay for the bread. How come she doesn't have to pay for the bread? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go set the seafood department on fire. You know, and while we're speaking of annoying bugs, mosquitoes. I do not like the mosquitoes, but the mosquitoes liketh me. Yes, they do. Oh, my God. I am typo negative. I don't know if there's been any study. I probably need to research this and look this up. But find out, has there been any information on certain blood types that attract mosquitoes? Because, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, do they love my blood. I will get bit by a mosquito through a T-shirt. Through a t-shirt, okay? They don't have to just land on my skin. They'll land on my clothes and say, oh, I'm taking this little fragile whatever needle nose thing that I got, and I'm going to navigate it through the fibers of this dude's cotton, Hanes, Gibraltar, whatever, tagless tea, and I'm going to get the blood that way. I don't care. I don't care if I get a little chest hair in my mouth while I do it. I'm going to floss while I eat. Boy, do they love me. And I also welt like crazy. So, I mean, it just one mosquito bite and it will look like I've got, you know, uh, the top third of a golf ball pushing out of the bottom of my skin. It's it's disturbing. So just imagine when I get multiple and also because I don't have, you know, I, I have to shave my head on purpose because I'm bald. Ing. I mean, both. I, 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 I've been balding for so long that I'm both bald and I'm continuing to bald. So I'm bald and balding. B squared. I don't know what that is. That also means that I'm prone to getting direct mosquito bites onto the head. Yay. That's so fun. I've gotten them on my ear. They will suck out of any part of my body that they can find and they will gang rape me like it's nobody's business. Oh, you know, if I don't know better and I don't put any off on or anything, I might have eight to 800 mosquitoes suckling off of my figurative blood teat at any given time. I do a Donald Trump impression. I don't do a Joe Biden impression. I'm going to give you the, what I envision to be newest campaign commercials that you haven't heard because the media isn't spreading anything. You're welcome. My fellow Americans, I'm here to tell you that 2020 is our year again, okay? It's going to be big league, going to be huge. I'm changing my slogan from Make America Great Again because it, I made it great already. We don't need to make it great again, okay? I'm changing my slogan to grab America by the pussy, okay? It's, it's fantastic. You know what? And America will be happy. We're grabbing it, and you'll be happy to grab that pussy. So it's win-win. Happy America. Love for Donald. Donald Trump. Approve this message. Grab America by the pussy. Hey there, my fellow Americans. I'm Joe Biden. Hey, I'm going to win this race. I know how to win. Donald Trump's a a schoolyard bully who just wants to (laughs) pick fights with old Joe. Tries to tell people I I lose my memory often. Hey, let me me, me tell you. 17, uh, four to the right. And uh, uh, hey, look, I can get into my locker, okay? (laughs) No, 
he's a bully and I'm gonna take him down and be your next president of the United States. I'm Donald Trump and I approve this message. Like, okay, let's let's be real. LGBTQIA plus, these are all labels. Not that I have any issue with anybody that wants to identify by one of those certain labels, but guess what? If you're going to put a label on yourself and wear it proudly, you got to live with some other labels too. And guess what? Your self-image isn't always right. And while I'm on LGBTQIA, let me just say there's some of those that need to go away. Let's, let's start with the plus at the very end. The plus is basically like literally if you look it up, it will tell you that the plus essentially this stands for all of the other letters and acronyms of sexuality that we haven't yet figured out or put in a name to. So it's just this wide open, never ending, stop, let's just look at sexuality. It's pretty simple. This is, it's all about identity. Like people want to identify. So let's say I'm a, a transgendered woman who was born with male anatomy, but now identifies as a woman. Okay, fine. Who do you have sex with? Who are you attracted to? Are you attracted to women? Guess what? You're a lesbian. You can't want to identify as a specific gender, but still somehow fall outside into these different sexualities. Look, I understand. I'm not poo-pooing all of that. I I think it's gotten blown way out of control, like this whole non-binary. Non-binary, really? First off, that's specific to almost like numbers and computer coding. And guess what? Here's what binary means. One or zero. On or off. That's it. There's two options. There's not a third option when it comes to binary. So uh, not only do I think the description of the personality doesn't make any sense, you have to pick. Like, you you, you could be bi. You don't have to pick one sex that you're attracted to, but you can't, essentially non-binary could just be bisexual. Um, I mean, even the asexual, the A, that uh, basically means low sex drive as far as I know. Yeah, guess what? Welcome to, you know, half the people that have been married for 30 or more years. I guess they're all asexual. All right, I'm going to stop this rant on this because I don't want to make it sound like I'm somehow shaming the LGB society. Notice how I just stopped on LGB because I think all the rest of them fall into that. Oh, by the way, Guess what? Guess what's not on there? S. Straight. The, that's not on there. Um, if we want to be all inclusive, as I think people want to be, that seems to be what everyone's striving for, then we probably shouldn't exclude uh, the largest group uh, of defined sexuality. However, when you have someone who plans their own birthday party or Let's go back to the narcissism of social media. If you announce ever on social media your own birthday in a post, you are a narcissist, okay? First off, you've probably got it. If you're going to be that type of person, you've already got it in your about me. Here's my birthday. People will get reminders, and they can choose to say happy birthday to you. If you post a picture of yourself with your Starbucks drink saying, starting my birthday off right with a mocha frappa flappuccino lappa crappa flappa. I don't, I don't know. I don't go to Starbucks. And that might be the new flavor. I'm not sure. Probably doesn't sell well uh, with the crappa in there. But if you do that, you are absolutely asking people to say happy birthday that might not otherwise see the reminder or see other people posting that is narcissism okay you might as well would you do this 
Because if, you, if you're that type of person, you're like, I don't see anything wrong with that, then you shouldn't see anything wrong with getting a cheap paper cone party hat that says, it's my birthday, in colorful letters. Put it on your head and wear that all day long. When you go into Speedway, when you go into Kroger, when you go into Best Buy, whatever you do, wear that hat because you will get strangers that will see that hat and go, oh, happy birthday. You're calling attention to it because you want people to notice. It is basically the cleavage equivalent of self-holiday celebration. Horrible analogy. Actually, a good analogy, just horribly stated. But there's so many weird traditions with birthdays, like the song that I started this show out with reluctantly. And as a musician, guess what? I'm constantly asked to sing happy birthday to someone out in the crowd. But let's think about the song. I mean, what other... Maybe, you know, feel free uh, to find me on social media and argue with me if you think that I'm missing something. But I cannot think of another celebration, holiday, or even achievement or accomplishment or event in one's life that comes with the expectation of everyone in the vicinity, including strangers, to sing this ridiculous child's song to you. You know, there's obviously Christmas carols, but those aren't, you know, people aren't obligated to sing a song to you like they are on your birthday. And again, a ridiculous, childish song. You know, when you get your driver's license or when you graduate, they do play pomp and circumstance, but that's not necessarily for you. And that is not expecting everyone in the stands at the graduation to just sing awkwardly. No, that's not happening. So that's just weird that on your birthday, that's just mandatory. Everyone has to do it and everyone hates it. Well, you might like it if you're hearing it, but most people do not like having to sing it. They'll just... It's kind of like doing, you know, by the time you're in like eighth grade and you're still doing the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. It just becomes this monotone, chanty kind of thing where it's it, there's not a whole lot of oomph behind it. And furthermore, with birthdays, you've got just the ridiculousness of how the the ritual of a birthday goes. You know, you're basically saying, hey, congratulations for not dying in the last year. Here's a baked good that I got for you and I wrote your name on. I'm going to go ahead and light this on fire. If you wouldn't mind showering it with your spittle before we serve it to people, that would be fantastic. Thank you. And happy birthday. Everyone sing. Uh, you know, speaking, you know, going back to the trampoline, the little mini tramp that I bought in the winter, prior to winter, I was also, you know, I always had this intention. I need to work out. I'm not working. I'm not doing anything. I mean, I guarantee you I was depressed. Again, if you don't pay attention to the show, I'm just going to keep it really short and sweet. Between July 20th, or I'm sorry, July 1st and mid-September of 2020, my best friend, my dad, and my stepdad all passed away. So I, in addition to all of the COVID funk that we were all in, I was also I'm sure going through a pretty significant depression. Also, just being alone, not even having a job or people to interact with. I'm going to Kroger for my daily interactions because, you know, that's where happiness is found is in the aisles of Kroger. But I always had the intention, I'm going to quit eating like shit and I'm going 
to exercise. So I used to rollerblade, you know, back in the day when I was in my 20s and significantly lighter and more agile and less fragile than I am now. And I also used to play roller hockey. I then started playing ice hockey after that. But my point being, if you're going to play roller hockey, then you've got to be pretty good on roller blades. And I was, but that's a different guy. I don't, I don't, I thought I remembered that guy. I don't think that was me um, because, well, I ordered roller blades. Problem is I ordered them right before winter really hit. I don't know what I was thinking. So as of just like a month, month and a half ago, I had not even taken the damn tags off of things. So I finally took them out and tried them briefly uh, and could barely just on a flat brand new parking lot that had never even been parked on before. This thing was about as pristine as could be. It still had chunks of new asphalt pieces and little obstacles that could be a problem, but it was everything I could do to just not take a tumble and probably shatter three hips. I know I only have two hips, but that's how bad the fall would have been. It would have found a hip somewhere on my body that science didn't know existed and broken it. Since that failed experiment, I have not touched the roller blades. I'm not sure that I will unless somehow I can purchase a full body padding suit, at which point I may feel more comfortable taking a fall. Right now, not so much. I did actually buy pads for the rollerblades, another purchase, and it's so hard to shop for like knee and elbow pads for skateboarding or rollerblading or whatever on like Amazon. A lot of them are geared towards children. I ordered what I thought was an adult set and in the largest size that they would come in, I think it was just like small, medium, large. And as I mentioned, I'm, you know, not a small boy, especially after a year of 30 pound COVID game. And when those pads came, if I put those around my knee, my foot would turn black and need hacked off after three minutes of rollerblading because of lack of circulation. So I couldn't wear those and I don't think they were that expensive. And I set them off to the side for a while thinking maybe I'll do something with these or find someone to give them to. I'm pretty sure I just threw them away. Never been used, just threw them in the fucking trash can because I was sick of looking at them and I didn't spend that much on them. So there's just some straight up flushed money. Another thing I bought last winter, which is a weird time to buy this, is a, and this is just a weird thing to buy in general, I bought a metal detector. Oh, I'm so stupid. I was watching some show on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, and some dude they were interviewing was walking around through a graveyard with a metal detector while they were interviewing and talking to him. And he was an insignificant part of the show, but he was just talking about how like graveyards were a great place to find things or the beach. And the, the show was not about metal detectors. I don't even remember what the show was, but I'm sitting here looking at it and immediately I'm identifying like, yeah, yeah. Walking around graveyards and beaches with this big dildo strapped to my arm. I think that's for me. Hello, Amazon.com. Search metal detectors. I have not used that to this day. I have never even put batteries in the damn thing. Yeah, another not so fantastic purchase. I am the type of person who gets heavily emotionally invested into the movie that I'm watching again, if done well. And even if it's done like shit, I will get heavily invested into my hatred of the film and, and everything that's wrong with it. 
So still a strong emotional attachment with sad movies or dramatic movies that are even just moving or touching. Yes, I am a big fucking emotional weepy pansy that can cry very easily. Even if it's a movie I've seen more than once, that's almost worse because now I know certain scenes are coming up that will tug on me and I will start to get emotional and well up even before I probably should because now it's the anticipation. I remember when I was a little kid and E.T. had just come out and my mom took me and my brother, who's two and a half years older than me, but she took us to the movie theater while my dad was at work. So it was a weekday and took us to see E.T. I I don't know how old I was. Uh, Okay, I looked it up really quick. That's the joy of production, post-production, where I don't need to make you wait while I look it up. It came out in June of 1982, so I would have been seven going on eight. I'm assuming we would have seen it before my birthday late in the summer, so guessing I would have been almost eight years old when we went there. There was basically two really moving scenes in that movie. The first one was when E.T. basically dies, and you have to see him whisked away from this home they've been hiding him in, and all of these sterile environments with people in hazmat suits treating him like he's the plague, and he's turning ashy, and his heart light is dying. Turn on your heart light. I used to fucking love that song. I may still own it on 45. Thank you, Neil diamond for that gem of a contribution to musical history so yeah et dies and then the other scene would be when et leaves and goes home at the end both scenes turned me into a blubbering puddly mess of weepy fucking pansy in the middle of the theater so much to the extent that at the end of the film my mom had to carry me into the women's room to calm me down and wipe my face dry my eyes she then thought it would be a great idea later that evening when my dad got home from work because the movie was so great let's go see it again so little seven going on eight-year-old jeffy had to endure those horrifically sad scenes again in the same day. Not cool, mom, not cool. I'm gonna assume I kept it under better control with my dad present because I know just the idea of his little pansy son weeping at a fucking alien movie would just embarrass the shit out of him. So I probably kept it under better control just for that reason. I don't really remember that well. A lot of the the story that I know and remember is based on stories and recollections that my mom has, has shared with me through my life. Because this was a moment that she remembers very well due to my weepy, pansy-eyed nature. And as a child, I loved Houses Under Construction. Loved, loved, loved. It was so cool to be inside the skeleton of the house where you can see through the walls. There's no fixtures, there's no real floor. It's all just wood and just the smell of construction and all of these new materials and the lumber. It just, there was something about it that I freaking loved. Now, Homes Under Construction also afforded me the opportunity to be a little shithead asshole prankster 
not pranking anyone I know, as I mentioned, but I guess you could call these pranks on the construction crew because, of course, you have a construction crew in there morning to evening through the week. So in the evenings or on the weekends, me and my friends, we would be able to go walk through these houses. It's not like there were locks on the doors or anything like that. I mean, some of them didn't even have doors installed yet. And as much as I enjoyed being in a new house that's being built and the smell of the construction and all that stuff... There was just also something like you're in this house, totally unsupervised. You're a little kid. Yes, that's how it worked back then. You could have been eight, nine years old, and your parents actually let you just walk around the neighborhood by yourself. That's Yeah, I'm an old man, but that's how it used to work. I'm not saying there weren't plenty of murderers and rapists out there as much as they are today, but people just didn't care about them as much or feel like they were actually a true threat in the sanctum of their personal neighborhood. So yes, we were allowed to run free and go through these houses. And when you're in the house, you you are kind of protected from the outside world. No one can really see what you're doing. So one of the things I like to do is I would find these caulk bottles. So these tubes of caulk that you would put a caulk gun in, and then you would just continue to squeeze the little handle, and it would slowly push the caulk out for anyone who's ever used a caulk gun. You know what I'm talking about. And just like a tube of toothpaste, it would get to the very end where it's now very difficult to push out this very little bit. And if you're a construction crew that's working quickly, when you get to the end of the bottle and it's becoming difficult, they just drop the cartridge out, pop another tube in, and just start with a new one. It's just easier that way. But what that meant is because they didn't always clean up all their messes on a day-to-day basis because they'd be back the next day or after the weekend, there would be these discarded caulk bottles all around the construction site and inside the home and just laying on the floors and stuff like that. I, along with my friends, uh, but we would find sticks that were strong enough that we could push into the near-empty caulk bottle to really get that last bit of caulk out. And you'd be surprised how much caulk you can get out of a bottle that a construction worker considers empty. It's just, like I said, with toothpaste. You have those people who just can't be bothered once the toothpaste gets to the point where you really have to do some folding of the tube and some squeezing and all that stuff. They just say, screw it. I know there's five to ten days worth of toothpaste in there, but I'm just going to throw it away and get a new tube. That's wasteful, people. Wasteful. Shame on you. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that everything I did with that caulk was just because I was demanding justice for wastefulness. All right, that's bullshit. I was just being a little kid asshole. So here's some of the things we would do with the extra caulk in the tubes. We would caulk windows shut. We would caulk doors shut. Now, I mean, I'm sure you try and open a door and it's just caulk holding it in place. You're going to still get through the door, but it's now it's just a mess. One of my favorite things to do is they would, in addition to their discarded caulk bottles, they would also have, like, soda bottles laying around out in the yard where there still was no grass, but just in that area or, again, inside the house. And back in the day, soda bottles were like glass. These were not plastic bottles. We would use the caulk to mount the bottle in what looked like a way that completely defied gravity on like an exterior window so that when someone would pull up the next day in their construction truck, there would just be this sideways Mountain Dew glass bottle on the front bay window just suspended in space because we had caulked it there. Yes, 
I know. All the things I'm going to discuss in this episode, I know. I was a little asshole. I mean, I didn't mean to do this stuff with malice. You're you're doing it more for your own amusement and not really thinking about the consequences that these people are going to have to deal with the next day. You don't really understand consequences at certain ages. I'm not saying this to excuse away the poor behavior that I exhibited. I'm just saying I didn't understand consequences quite as well, so it didn't seem quite as harmful to me. Now, I was a little older. This is probably the worst, quote-unquote, pranks that I've ever done, definitely in a construction home. At this point, I would have been about 14, so now I, I can't you know, use the consequences, excuse, and defense as much. There was a house that was a couple doors down from mine in my neighborhood that it was just this lot that a construction company had started building and just never finished. The buyers must have fell through or whatever, and then it just went unworked on and just an eyesore in our neighborhood for years. Well, after a couple years, a construction company started to work on it again. And me and my friend, we would go over in the evenings and on the weekends, and we would obviously hang out in there. And I don't think I was really doing the caulk stuff as much at that point. That was more of a, you know, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old kind of thing. That's so 10-year-old. I'm not doing caulk. Are you kidding? I'm 14. Jeez. So the workers had left a big box. It was probably about the size of, like, two lunch boxes together uh, and just filled with nails, super heavy box. This was bulk. They were doing bulk work. I decided to grab a handful of those nails. And while holding those nails, I dropped trowel. And for those of you who don't know what that means, I took off my pants or lowered them. I squatted over the box and I made a dookie. I then took the nails that I had in my hand and I put them back on top of the dookie so that the next day, I know, I know people, I know. I know. I know. Don't think I don't know. I'm sure that some of the things in my life that have come back to me that I thought were very unfair, it was just karma for the box of nails shit fiasco. Just imagine that poor guy's face the next day. He's halfway through his first cup of coffee, goes in, he's wiping the sleep out of his eyes, maybe a little hungover. Goes to grab some nails. Maybe the first three or four nails he grabbed, everything was perfectly fine. What what went through that guy's head when he realized that someone had shit in the box? Not on the nails, but in the box of nails and covered the shit back up. That is some fucking vicious Vietnamese punji stick bullshit right there. That was some fucked up shit. Yes, I feel bad about it now. But, you know, you get to a point in life where it's been long enough where two things apply. One, a statute of limitations applies to protect me from prosecution. Thank you. Also, when time passes enough, you can find humor in things that are a little messed up. And I'm just trying to be real and be honest with you guys. Obviously, I'm not painting myself in a fantastic picture here. I understand that. But all these memories were triggered earlier when I saw these under-construction houses. And no, I didn't want to go inside and make a dookie in a box of nails that I wasn't compelled to do so. It just rushed back memories, which then opened the floodgates to all the other shit that I would do that to me was just funny and harmless pranking. But to the people around me that were the recipients of these pranks, it was probably the thing that ruined their day, if not their week.
And this is about the differences between yawns, sneezes, coughs, and farts. It's weird how there are different societal expectations for how to react to a yawn, a sneeze, a cough, or a fart. Especially now that we are, you know, amidst all of the COVID, people coughing and sneezing, that's like, oh my God, we're all gonna die! I mean, all of these things are natural bodily functions. Some of them involuntary, some of them you have a little more control over to make it voluntary. Like you can hold a fart for a half hour if you have to, in most circumstances. Now, involuntarily, that fart wanted to leave 30 minutes ago, but at the end of those 30 minutes, when you can finally escape somewhere to let that fart out, you have now made it voluntary. But like a yawn, a yawn is relatively involuntary. However, a yawn, unlike a sneeze, a cough, or a fart, is contagious. You can make people yawn just by yawning. And they see you yawn, and it will trigger yawns in other people. See how many people just yawned because I yawned. That was a fake yawn, actually. I didn't even yawn. I really was trying to get a real yawn. I just don't have one in me. That was a voluntary yawn. But I bet you at least one person that's listening to this podcast just yawned because they heard me yawn. You see people yawn, it makes you yawn. That doesn't happen with sneezes, coughs, and farts. No one farts and it's just like you. <laughs> like someone farts while you're in the urinal. Could you imagine if one guy farted at a bank of urinals and all of a sudden the other two guys that were at the urinal just, it was this choir, this chorus of toots because it was contagious like a yawn? That would be funny. I would like to see that. Unfortunately, that is not the case with farts and toots. But the weird thing, you know, since we're talking about manners, what I think is so weird is how differently those four things are treated. So let's start with a yawn because we're already talking about it. A yawn, you are not expected to say anything to anyone else to excuse yourself. They are not expected to say anything to you. You just yawn. I mean, manner-wise, cover your mouth. That's basically what you're supposed to do. But you really don't need to cover your mouth. That's just so that people don't have to see your tonsils. But it's not like a sneeze where you're spraying spittle and disease everywhere. Like an AIDS monkey with the sniffles. <laughs> so yawn, there's really no manners. I mean, it's just yawn as you see fit. There's no consequences for yawning. Now, like I said, coughs and sneezes. Oh, and burps. Let's not forget burps. Oh, how did I forget burps? So, but coughs and sneezes, like, again, a cough, cover your mouth. Again, not spittle coming out like a sneeze, but at least cover your mouth because there is something coming out of you. You're not expected to say anything to the people around you after you cough. You're not expected to say anything to someone after they cough. A sneeze, on the other hand, we have to bring religion into a sneeze. God bless you. Now, we all know that the whole God bless you aspect that people say after a sneeze dates back to, uh, there's multiple stories as like, for example, people thought that demons were leaving your body when you sneezed. So they would say, God bless you. There's other old wives tales and origins of God bless you. I haven't done the research. I'm not sure if there's a definitive reason as to why God bless you and God and religion has to come into you sneezing. 
I am very anti-God bless you. I have been for a long time. Uh, my kids know, and people who know me very well, they know when I sneeze, don't say anything to me. I don't want to hear God bless you or bless you, anything like that. We don't need to bring religion into it. As a matter of fact, at my last job, it was almost known company-wide, well, at least the people that I would interact with, that if I sneezed, if you're going to say anything, say damn you. I just, I, I would so against bless you that I would, if you have to say something, say damn you. I'd rather you say nothing at all. Let me fucking sneeze and just move on. You don't say anything to me when I cough. You don't say anything to me when I yawn. You don't say anything to me when I burp. I'm burping, yes. Excuse me, now it's your job. No one says anything to you, and honestly, a burp sounds way more demonic coming out of your mouth than a sneeze. But now with a burp, you're expected to say, Excuse me. No one is expected to say anything to you. And burps, for the most part, just like sneezes and coughs, they're involuntary. I mean, there's trying to hold in a burp, that's way more different than trying to hold in a fart. That really tells you the difference between the control that you have over your throat and the control that you have over your butthole. You have much more control over your butthole most of the time, at least more so than you do your throat. And of course, we come to one of the greatest things in life, the fart. As I mentioned, farts can be involuntary. They can be voluntary, but typically if they're voluntary, it's only because you've held it so long that you were able to control when you released the involuntary need. Like I can burp on command if I have to. If I really try, I know I faked it earlier, but I can yawn on command. I can't sneeze on command. I can't fart on command. I can cough on command and it wouldn't be a real cough, but I could emulate a cough. And if you emulate a cough enough, you will actually cough for real because now your throat will be irritated and like, what the fuck are you doing? We don't need to cough. Why are you coughing? All right, fine. You want to see some coughs, buddy? You want to see some coughs? Let's turn it up a notch. But there is no real expected thing that someone is supposed to say or that someone else is supposed to say when someone farts. If you fart in the middle of a crowded movie theater and just go, excuse me, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> the people in the theater are like, fuck you. I don't care that you said excuse me. You just farted, you loose butthole son of a bitch. I'm not really sure what the etiquette is for, you know, farting accidentally in public other than just total embarrassment and, oh, God. And, of course, you have the, you know, silent but deadlies. If you can squeak one out and no one knows, no one heard it, rather, people will know here in a few seconds. Why do I smell eggs and onions and dead dog? Before I wrap up, I will tell you one funny story about a particular fart of mine. This would have been uh, probably about four to five years ago. The band that I played in, the Lovebenders, we performed on what's called the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer. These are fans, coaches, ex-players of the Ohio State University Buckeyes, and they all go on a cruise every year to raise money for the James Cancer Hospital and Cancer Research. Yay! So it's all for a great cause. It is very testosterone and sports-fueled, <clears throat> but it is all for a very good cause. So we played on the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer multiple years, and we would be up pretty late, uh, me and the other two guys in the 
the band. And this one particular night, so at the end of every night, most of the people that were on the boat were already in their cabins and in bed. There was a handful of people that were up on the very top deck in this little, I mean, teeny tiny, it's not even a deck, but it's like the nightclub at the very top. And, you know, that would go on until maybe 2, 3, maybe 4 o'clock in the morning. And then those late-night drunkards would manage to try and get their way back to their cabin safely. So this one particular night, we were pretty much wrapped up the the club. We were done with that experience. We were ready to go crash. So we get on the elevator, which we have to take down multiple floors to get to where our cabins are. I'm sure between the combination of not eating properly and when I did eat it was this buffet cruise food, not to mention an exorbitant amount of beer at this point, you know, at 3 or 4 a.m., my stomach was churning a little bit. And it's me and the other guys, you know, hey, I'm exhibiting manners and etiquette. I don't want to fart on the elevator necessarily while they're in it. Yet, to be fair, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to fart to save their nose and their senses. I didn't want to be trapped with my own butt funk. And at this point in the night, because the ship is a ghost town, there's really not that many people getting on the elevators. And the only ones getting on the elevator are typically the people that are already up on the like the 12th floor where the nightclub is bringing it down. You don't have people going up at this point in the night because the, the club is about to close. So I felt safe. And this was one of those damn near involuntary farts where it was everything I could do to hold it in until we got to our floor. And right as the elevator was slowing down and hitting our floor, I just let this fart out. And my bandmates heard it and immediately are pushing forward toward the door like there's a fire in the back of the elevator. And they go rushing out of the elevator and I kind of casually, proudly walk out of the elevator after leaving my masterpiece behind, only to discover a lone gentleman getting on the elevator. He stepped into the elevator. Oh, this poor fella. And as the doors were closing, all we heard was, oh my God. It was a particularly funny and proud moment for me and definitely a story of flatulence that I will never forget. So people, mind your manners. Just be good people. Be kind to other people. Ladies, open a fucking door every once in a while for someone else. You are not a princess. You want equality. Live that way. Don't grunt. And moan when you're shitting in a public restroom. Ideally, I don't want to hear your shit while I'm in there. But if you can't control that, shut your mouth. Do not involve me in group texts. Mom, did you hear that? Do not involve me in group texts that are going to last longer than four and a half minutes. I also remember after moving to Columbus right before I turned 13, so... This would have been seventh grade, so I would have been, I'm yeah, 13 years old, and they are now doing sex ed at, at school. So in our health class, which was also our gym teacher, and in this case, for me, was a woman, we had to learn sex ed. I'm sure that has to be very uncomfortable for a teacher to have to talk about sex to a bunch of 13-year-old kids that aren't even their own kids. I mean, look how poorly my father handled it. I guess at least teachers have a curriculum. They have things that they can follow, so maybe it makes it a little easier, but it's still weird. One thing I remember specifically from Mrs. Grimes, my health 
slash gym teacher and her talking to us about sex and, you know, girls' bodies versus boys' bodies was the discussion of the hymen. Now, the hymen, I, for those of you who don't know the technical term hymen, that is essentially what would be the cherry that gets popped. It's a flap of skin uh, around the vaginal, the opening to the vaginal canal, and it breaks oftentimes during a girl's first time having sex, which can cause her to bleed, hence the term pop the cherry, because it looks like someone spilled a cherry pie in the bed. I also remember that she made it very clear that it's not uncommon for girls to break their hymen without having sex. It could just be, and the example she used was from playing a game of basketball. Not sure why she used that as the example, but now in my little 13-year-old mind, I'm thinking, so basically either a girl's going to break her hymen from a hard pounding at homecoming or from a layup gone terribly wrong. Just one or the, one or, one or the other. Thank you, Mrs. Grimes. Well done with that difficult discussion. <laughs> it still fascinates me to this day as to why people refer to the talk about human sex as the birds and the bees. That's such a weird analogy. First off, we're talking about men and women from the same species having sex. The birds and the bees would imply that the birds and the bees, two separate species, are having sex. You know how bad that would be to just be a little bee floating and flying along, picking up some pollen, and all of a sudden here comes a sparrow out of nowhere and just starts fucking you as the bee. I mean, really, at a matter of a second, you would just explode into this nightmarish mist of yellow and black stripes and bird semen. That sounds fun. No, okay, but this is the comparison that we're trying to give to children to soften the blow. Like, we don't want to actually say the word sex. So we're going to call it the birds and the bees. And not only is it interspecies mating that you're describing when you talk about the birds and the bees, but let's also talk about the mating patterns of birds and bees. I mean, not all birds, but eagles, for example, are known to essentially, when they're trying to do a mating ritual and find their mate, they fly up really high, they lock their talons together, and they plummet to the ground with the anticipation that right at the last second, they're going to unlock talons and fly away gracefully. Is it any wonder that bald eagles are on the endangered species list? Because just to get their fuck on, two of them have to dive bomb towards the earth and hope that they can gracefully pull up, not pull out kids, <laughs> but pull up at the last second. Let's just quit stop saving the bald eagles because they're clearly suicidal and very, very horny. Another example of weird bird sex, which hopefully is nothing like actual human sex, is the hedge sparrow. So I'm just gonna read you verbatim what I found online about the hedge sparrow and its mating habits. The hedge sparrow is monogamous, mostly. The female will sometimes keep a second male on hand who lurks in the bushes, waiting for her mate to turn his back. When he does, she lets him copulate with her, a process that's more like a bumping of the genitals. Then things get weird. Wait, then things get weird? This isn't already weird? She's basically cuckolding her mate while he turns his back and stupid bird 
for not realizing that just because his back is turned. So again, like I said, then things get weird. When the first mate comes back, she displays herself to him and he pokes at her genitals until the other male sperm spurts out. Yes, spurts. Spurts is the word that they used on mentalfloss.com. Spurts. The sperm spurts out. The sperm spurts out. Let me continue. Then the two birds have sex, ensuring that it's probably her mate's egg in the nest. Why do this? Because both the mate and the misinformed adulterer will help the female feed the chicks. That bitch! She basically has a baby daddy and a sugar daddy. That's what's happening with the hedge sparrows. She's like, hey, can you go get that twig over there for me? Thanks, honey. And then the quote-unquote misinformed adulterer. Yes, adultery apparently is a thing with fucking birds. So while discipline and things like that seem like they can be very extreme, I'm not saying your child spills milk on the floor and you punch him in the face and say, God damn it, Andrew! You're six years old, you don't know how to handle your fucking milk? That's not what I'm saying. Maybe slap him in the face. Don't punch him. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, I'm not a fan of time out. Time out. Oh, yeah, let's send the five-year-old off and to sit on the stairs for 15 minutes. You know, the, the person in the house whose imagination is better than our entire on-demand system. 15 minutes sitting on the stairs? He is off in his own world. He's fine. That is not a punishment, and there's not much consequence being learned. All he's learning is I can do all this fucked up shit, but I guess I'll have to go sit on the stairs for 15 minutes. Oh, shucks. Not a real consequence. Learning consequences is important, and that's why some of these things are necessities in my opinion. And while we're on the topic of child raising, I think this applies in general in life at any age, but very important as a child. One thing we've also gotten away from with child discipline is winners and losers. Everybody gets a trophy. I remember when my son was old enough to start doing flag football and then my daughter could do cheerleading in the same league. They were probably five and six at the time. Cute as hell. They still are, but they were cuter then. But I refused to let him play in any kind of league, any kind of sport that didn't keep score. There's no lesson to be learned, but we've gotten so coddling, and that's why everyone is so thin-skinned and so shocked when someone says something mean to me on Twitter. I'm the type of person that believes that we learn nothing from success. We learn nothing from winning. It is only losing and it is only failure from which we learn how to do things differently and maybe next time succeed. Maybe we fail. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I'm full of old adages, but failure is what builds us. You can hold your hand over the hot burner like an inch or two above it for as long as you want. It's going to get really warm and it might get really hot, but you're not going to necessarily have to pull your hand away. I guarantee you if you touch your hand to that same burner, you will immediately pull your hand away and you will never want to get your hand near that burner again. That's learning from a mistake. And there are so many things in life that are invisible, emotional things 
That's kind of, again, where bullying comes into play. You need to make sure that your mind is tough enough to handle this world because this does kind of tie together with the consciousness stuff that I was talking about. Is you have to understand that everyone lives in their own consciousness and not in yours. You can't expect everyone to have the same perspective as yours. You can't expect everyone to think you're a good person. You can't expect everyone to love you. You can't expect everyone to laugh at your jokes. You can't expect to play a game and always win. You can't expect to do something that you know is wrong and just have to go sit on the stairs for 15 minutes. So for all of you who are like, Jeff, you're crazy. I don't really want to listen to anything more about simulation theory because there's no way you can convince me that this is even remotely possible. Okay, let me put this in a way that explains it from a real-life perspective. Social media. Social media is a simulation. If you think that your social media presence on whatever platform or platforms you're using is a 150% accurate representation of you, your personality, your appearance, your day-to-day life, your moods, you are lying to yourself. Social media is absolutely a simulation. Holding the camera way up high and sticking my chin out and it has to be this profile. That's not accurate. That's not how you look when you go into the bank to make a deposit frazzled in your sweatpants. Cashing a check at the bank so that you can make sure that your electric doesn't get turned off today. That's not how people see you. That's not what you show them. That's why social media is, to an extent, a simulation that you have created and from other people's perspective that is how they know you so if the people that quote unquote finger quotes know you like let's use for example people that you connected with on facebook or whatever that are people you went to high school with but you haven't seen them in 20 years you haven't talked to them in 20 years you live hundreds if not thousands of miles away the only representation that you have of this person or that they have of you is social media they don't know you they don't see you frazzled at the bank in your sweatpants because you don't put that shit on social media you know who they are as far as they want to present themselves on social media and vice versa And therefore, you know a simulation of that person, and they know a simulation of you. So already, right there, you are a simulation. Maybe not the person that you are making the post, but absolutely, you are an avatar. You are a character. You are a simulation if you are on social media. We are discussing over-diagnosed conditions. I believe ADD is way, I'm sorry, ADHD is way over-diagnosed. I'm not even sure I believe it exists in the first place. But based on the CDC website, in 1997, less than 6% of American children were diagnosed with ADHD. By 2017, we're now up to 10% of kids being diagnosed with ADHD. These are kids not only being diagnosed, but prescribed medicine. That doesn't sound like a lot, it's only 10%. Yes, but just over 20 years ago, it was less than 6%. That's almost a 100% increase in the diagnoses of ADHD. Now, to be fair and to be thorough, I wanted to research what are the actual symptoms of ADHD. So let's look at them, shall we? The symptoms of ADHD include 
having trouble focusing on tasks, being forgetful about completing tasks, being easily distracted, having difficulty sitting still, and interrupting people. Really? You're going to look at a seven-year-old as a physician with those finger quotes symptoms and put him on fucking drugs? Shame on you. Now, as a father of two children who are now adult age, they are 18 and 19, but I was a single father of those kids from the time that they were seven weeks old and 13 months old. And after splitting up with their mom, I have always had either 100% shared custody or primary custody. So I am an engaged father who recognizes things about kids. I also was a kid and remember what it was like. So based on that, I'm going to give you some research of my own. This does not come off a website. This comes out of my own brain. You're welcome. The symptoms of being a seven-year-old include having trouble focusing on tasks, being forgetful about completing tasks, being easily distracted, having difficulty sitting still, and interrupting people. Same fucking symptoms. Guess what? I don't care whether you're seven years old, 10 years old, 13 years old. If you're in school and you don't want to pay attention, you don't have ADHD. You just fucking suck at math or you don't like it. Or your teacher sucks. There are so many reasons why people can be misdiagnosed with ADHD or overdiagnosed and again, then medicated. It just really bothers me. I am positive by the definition of ADHD that I have ADHD. Have trouble focusing on tasks. All right, let's see. In the last year, I've released an original EP of music. I started a podcast and then took like a year-long break and then just resumed it recently. I have written and recorded an entire musical original album, but I have not yet quite finished it. I started an Etsy store and I put a bunch of stuff out there, but I haven't really done much with it in months. You can tell just by the way that I'm, you know, trying to remember my own shit that focus may not be my forte. Being forgetful about completing tasks. Well, I would have to be focused enough to set a task in motion in order to forget it. So, and by the way, if you have a seven-year-old that was supposed to do something and they didn't, and you say, why didn't you do this? And they say, oh, I forgot and you believe that they forgot, that they just didn't want to do it or didn't do it, and you take them to the doctor and you put them on fucking drugs, you're kind of an idiot. not going to call you a bad parent because people that do this, they do it out of, you know, wanting the best and hoping that they can fix something, but some shit isn't meant to be fixed. It's just human nature. All right, but let's continue our self-diagnosis. Being easily distracted. Okay, let's look at the just the last shit that I talked about. I interrupted myself and completely lost my train of thought. You've heard the podcast. You know that happens all the time. Yes, easily distracted. Check, please. Have difficulty sitting still. As a child, I have discussed this before on the podcast. In Catholic school, I was duct taped to my chair by my teacher. Need I say more? And lastly interrupting people. So the reason I was duct taped to my chair in Catholic school as a child was for deliberately and annoyingly interrupting the teacher while she was trying to talk to a fellow student. 
Does Jeff have ADHD? It sure looks like it. What do we have for him, Bob? We've got a lifetime supply of Ritalin. Sure to provide him all the focus he needs. While it may dull his moods and limit his creativity, we're quite certain that he'll be able to focus on the duller aspects of life. Back to you, Carl. The forecast was so bad that I was contemplating taking a different route because it looked like the entire day I was going to be driving in downpour, thunderstorms, every single state, every single major city between Bluffton, South Carolina and Columbus, Ohio. And I was super concerned with the vertigo that I dealt with on the way down that how am I going to deal with the drive back if I am in pouring down rain and zero visibility. But finally, I decided the alternate route was an hour and 20 minutes longer and I said, screw it, I'm gonna take the main route. If I have to drive slow and piss people off, that's what I'm gonna do. So it's 7 a.m. the next morning, Miss Daisy and I loaded into the van. He laid down on the back seat, as would be expected, and we made our way home. The drive home took longer than the drive down. The drive down took a little under 10 hours. Now, the rain was a part of the problem, but it wasn't as bad as I expected. Actually, the majority of the drive was rain-free, thank goodness. Unfortunately, when the rain started to really kick in, it was right in the mountainous regions of West Virginia, and I'm fucking grandma going 50 miles an hour in the right lane. Luckily, everybody else seemed to be just about as freaked out, and very few people were actually passing me. But when it was time for lunch or getting close to, I asked Skylar, I said, what are you in the mood for? I really don't want McDonald's and ideally not Wendy's because we had Wendy's on the drive down. I said, Arby's, Burger King, if I see one of those, is that okay? And he said, yeah, that sounds good. So I see a Burger King. It's it's an exit that's just filled with all kinds of food and grocery stores and marketplaces and all this stuff. Big exit with all kinds of stuff. Perfect. I get off the exit and all the signs for gas stations and food points left. Burger King and one gas station points right. I turn right, going to Burger King. I see the gas station on the left. I see no Burger King. And then I realize I'm on like a kind of smaller freeway, like route or whatever. And I can see ahead of me for like two miles up this hill, but it's just trees on both sides and like commercial buildings and stuff like that. But no Burger King, no houses, nothing. I'm like, it's got to be up at the top of this hill then, because you certainly wouldn't put a sign that says fast food is off this exit if it's not off this exit. Well, these pieces of shit decided, hey, if the Burger King is at least 46 miles away, we can go ahead and put it on the sign. I finally ended up driving a couple miles on this route with no sign of real civilization or houses or anything other than a commercial building or warehouse every once in a while. I turned around, said, fuck it, we're getting McDonald's. We had to drive all the way back under the underpass, get our McDees, get back on the road. Then once we're in West Virginia, I've now made it through the harrowing, rainy, super curvy and mountainous areas. We're just south of Charleston and I gotta pee real bad. And I see an exit that has all kinds of gas stations on it, food, all that stuff. I'm like, okay, good. Even if the first gas station I go to doesn't have a bathroom, I'm sure I can find another one. Worst comes to worst, I'll go piss in a fast food restaurant. I get off the exit. Within about 50 yards, I'm greeted with a fucking toll. I had to pay to get to the exit. It's like, son of a bitch, why is every exit I'm getting off on like another fucking freeway? So that piss cost me money, but 
In hindsight, it was probably worth it. So we finished our drive home, and I, I will tell you, like, if you're a traveler, especially if you're driving, there is nothing worse than the last hour driving home. Driving down that last hour, it was tough for me because of the vertigo and just wanting to get my eyes off the road and be out of the car. But when you recognize everything and you know, like, every, it just drags on and on. But we got home safely, Yay! as you know, because I'm recording a podcast. And that concludes our first best of episode, the 50th episode. Please check out Thursday's episode where we will do best of part two, covering the episodes 25 through 48. Please make sure that you follow me on social media, on Twitter, TikTok, or Facebook, at Jeff Becomes Jeff. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Jeff. Good night. <laughs>